Like God made you and he's like, yes, I bring her to play like the most unique role, right? Camille's going to be the one Camille I have, right? Not the one Camille, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but I think humility is recognizing our place in God's story. And the key is that this story is not about us. Yeah. And so that's humility is that this story is not about us. But I get to be a part of it. I'm just grateful to be invited to this story. And that God wrote this story and I get to be a part of it. Um, and I think even humility, you know, God lifts it up so much because he knows it's our greatest protective measure. Because if you think about what pride does, and I'm sure you've seen this in your heart, just as I've seen it in mine, but pride does like a crazy destructive number to your heart. And it divides your friendships. It makes you hold back at an arm's length, right? It makes you work to prove yourself. Makes you work to earn God's love. Pride destroys us. And humility heals that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what humility is. Humility is like true freedom. Like you are free to let God be God and you be you. And you are free to be just a part of his story. And Mm -hmm. so I hope that you feel that this is good news today as we talk about it. Yeah, and pride is going to be one of those things that you deal with the rest of your life. So get comfy, right? And just start saying, hey, buckle up. This is something I'm going to learn my whole entire life. Yeah. We were in a time with somebody last week, right? And I was talk- we were just getting, helping our marriage, talking about our marriage. And, uh, and I was talking about kind of some of the things that I was kind of feeling, thinking. And the guy looks at me. He's like, he's like um, so Nick, so, uh, so that's pride. And, uh, and you're going to have to repent from that. I'm like, dang, you're right. You know? <laughs> and so it's one of those things that like I've been a Christian now for 10 years. I'm still, I'm still prideful. I still need help, and I still need people to kind of call me out yeah. in some of those ways. But it's become sneakier than, than when it was when I, was, when I was, uh, first became a Christian. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily the out kind of arrogance of like just kind of thinking I was better than everybody else, but it comes in subtle ways, and God keeps exposing that pride in you. Yeah. And it's going to be there the rest of your life. We've got we to gotta learn how to ruthlessly eliminate pride from our life. Yeah. Like not just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to deal with pride, so... Hopefully I'm just not prideful. We have to learn how to ruthlessly eliminate this because it's the thing that's going to destroy you. And it's the thing that God hates, right? So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, okay? 1 Samuel 16. We're going to, we're going to look at three different snapshots uh, from David's life. The first is David before he became king. David is a shepherd. The second is going to be David the outlaw where David was on the run uh, for his life. And the last one we're going to look at in the phase of his life was David as king. And we're going to look at how his humility, to me, really stayed consistent all throughout his life. And when he was humble, a lot of great things happened. When he was prideful, that's when a lot of things kind of got messed up. 1 Samuel 16. Uh, you guys kind of know this story, right? Israel was basically kind of saying, man, we want to be like all the other nations around us. All the other nations have a king. We want to have a king. And, and Sam was like, no, God's your king. It's like, no, we want a human king. Which, when you're thinking about it, you're like, are you kidding me? That, like, you have God as your king. The guy that spoke in the world and the world came into existence. Right? The guy that kind of, that knows every thought that you have. The guy that, it says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The guy that made you to kind of be in the garden with him. In in this incredible relationship with him. To be free. To have this incredible light in life in in, in in our lives. And then we're the ones that kind of go and mess that up. And so the people, they're saved out of slavery. They're taken out of that. They're bring, brought in this incredible land. And then and seeing God do crazy things. And they're like, you know what? God, you're cool. We want this little tiny man to be the guy that we're going to follow. You're like, what? That doesn't kind of make any sense. So what Samuel says is, like, okay, if you want that, this is what's going to happen with that king. He's going to take, and he's going to take, and he's going to take, and he's going to take. And it talks about all these different things that a king is going to take from you. 
And it says that God, he's, the only thing that God wants to do is give. Yeah. He wants to give. He wants to give. He wants to give. And so basically what happens, they ask him for a king. So, so God, you know, in his, in his ability to give us freedom in those ways, says, okay, give them a king. Give them what they want. Which is kind of just blows me away about who God is, right? He's not going to force you. You know, he's like, all right, give them what they want, you know? And so they choose Saul, right? Saul just doesn't really totally work out. He's a man after God's own heart. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Like, just kind of prideful, relied on his own skill and talent. But he was kind of the guy, if you're going to choose a king, Saul's the guy that everybody would choose. Kind of the tall, handsome, you know, kind of like strong warrior type guy. It's like, that's our dude, right? He messes up. And so they're like, God rejects him. Now they got to find a new guy. And so Samuel goes to this guy, Jesse, and he's like, okay, one of your sons is going to be king. And so basically Jesse has all his sons kind of stand in front of him. And kind of, Samuel's like, oh, this is the guy right here that, that's going to be. Right? Let's, look, let's look in, uh, in, for, in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 16. Says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's like, oh, Eliab, this dude, this dude's king material right here. I can tell. Look at him. He's like... I don't know who knows who he was, right? But he was probably just a guy that if you're thinking of who's going to be a leader of God's people, right? It's probably, it's probably going to look like Sam Norman right there or something like that, right? It's going to be, right, kind of that looking guy. And he's like, and he has all these people walk in front of him. Verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so basically all these people kind of come in front of him and God says, nope, not that guy, not that guy, not that guy. And then down in uh, verse 12, he said, hey, you, you got anybody else? And David's like, or Jesse says, yeah, we got this dude, but he's out taking care of the sheep. You know, you want him? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy I want. And so in verse 12, he says, so he sent for him, had him brought in, who was glowing with health and, fine, and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So before David had done anything else, he was already kind of known as a man after God's own heart, right? Before he was the guy that killed Goliath, before he's the guy that slayed thousands of people, before he's the one that united God's kingdom back, you know, into one kingdom, like he was the guy that was known as the shepherd boy out in the fields as a man after God's own heart. Which to me shows that, like, where did that come from with David? It didn't come from his exploits and the amazing things that he did. It came from just his private time with God. It came that he knew who God was and that he knew who he was, right? It's like, there's God, right? And I think sometimes we just got to remember, okay, who is God? God is so much different than you. He's so much different than you. He's so much out of this world than you are. God is like, he's, I, it's so hard to even, like, try to come up with words to describe God. But it's like, it's just one of those where people said, if you saw God in all his glory, you'd die. That says, like, when God's glory came on a mountain, there's fire and smoke and trumpets. And it says that whole mountain was shaking violently. It says that Isaiah came, all of a sudden came and he's in the throne room of God. His first thought was, oh, I'm dead. You know, because that's just what happens when you come in the presence of God. And all of a sudden he has these thousands of people that are around him just chanting over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? Imagine that. Like, that's just who God is. He's so much different than us. So much out of this world than us. And David's like, I think David, he knew. He's like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm nothing compared to that God. I am nothing. I am just a simple young man, a servant of God. I'm out just with my sheep. And he's sitting there with his sheep. He's seeing the mountains around him. He's seeing maybe the trees. And he's like, oh, like I, I am zero in comparison to that almighty God. And that humility 
that David had right from the get-go. I think it was pretty simple. It wasn't like some secret sauce. It's just mm -hmm. like he knows, he just knew who God was. Mm -hmm. And if you know who God is in comparison to who you are, that should just humble you right from the get-go. Yeah. He's like, God is just like so much different than me. How dare I think that I'm even close to who God is? Mm -hmm. How dare I think my thoughts are equal footing with God's thoughts? Mm -hmm. How dare I think that I can kind of live whatever way I want to and say, God, I'll kind of talk to you when I feel good about it, right? It's like David had this heart already that was just, you could tell he just longed for God without doing anything else. It's just this longing for who God was. We see later on Eliab, we see a little bit of his character, right, where we see him. That's, uh, David comes to the battlefield, right, where Goliath is, is uh, you know, taunting the Israelites. And David comes up to his brother Eliab, and Eliab's like, dude, why are you here? Like, you're insignificant. Go away. I think God saw that in Eliab's heart. Mm. He's like, this guy's negative, he's critical, and he's arrogant. And so I'm rejecting him because that's not the guy I want. You understand mm. that like your heart will beat out your talent every time. Yeah. God does not use people that have great talent but no heart. God uses all the time people that got a great heart but no talent. Mm -hmm. God cares so much more about humility than skill. Yeah. And he's always, every time, he's going to use humility over he's going to use someone that's really skilled. Yeah. A lot of you guys, I feel like, and I think this is just speaking for me as well, think that you're something because you're up there speaking in front of people or think you're something because you know how to lead songs or because you lead a Bible talk or because someone says you're great or because you have deep insights or because you've helped someone come close to God or because you're good at a sport or because you can, you know, you're a good singer or you're a good artist. It's like that, those kind of people to me, I don't really think God cares. Yeah. I think no. God looks at the person that's like picking up trash. Like when they go into they go into the service, they're not the one that's worried about like going up there and speaking in front of other people. Mm -hmm. It's the person that's like, man, how can I serve? I'm just going to go kind of pick up the piece of trash I see that are kind of going, you know, that are in the room right now. Yeah. Or they're the one that's staying late after a devo and kind of putting the chairs back. Yeah. Right? They're the one that's praying on their knees in the morning before God, as opposed to like getting in 16 Bible studies with different people. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's the person I feel like that God looks at the people in obscurity. The people, where was David? He wasn't the guy that's like first in line, like, yep, I'm the king. I'm here. I'm talented. I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Where was David? He was out tending the sheep. He, was, he, was, he lived his life getting close to God in obscurity. Mm. And I think too often, our, we think that really true spiritual success is when other people tell us we're great. Yeah. And that we can kind of be in front of people. And that we're, we're kind of making a difference, quote unquote. And we think we're something when you are not something. Yeah. It's the least among us that's most important, yeah. right? What does that 1 Corinthians 12 say? It says we give special treatment and special honor to the ones that seem most unimportant. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones I think that God's looking for every single time. Mm -hmm. Is that you? Are you most worried about what your heart is like before God? Or are you more concerned about what kind of people are, are thinking about you, what you're looking at, like when you come into a Devo? Mm -hmm. At a retreat, you're coming in saying, okay, do people, are people going to think I'm really awesome because this, this, isn't this reason? Or am I just here, I'm just a humble servant of God. I can't even believe that God would choose to use me. Mm -hmm. You understand like how much of a, an honor it is that God would say, I want your heart to align with my heart. You're like, are you kidding me? Like God would allow us the incredible opportunity to have our hearts align with his and have our thoughts kind of align with his thoughts, to be a part of his family, that God looks at you and says, I, I, I want to use you. Like, that is an incredibly humbling yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. And I think David knew that, and he grasped yeah. that. And, and his humility just came from that simple place of, I just feel so grateful that I get to be, I get to be used by God. Yeah. If nothing else happened in my life, and I was a shepherd the rest of my life, that's the coolest thing of all time, because I, I get to hang out with God. Mm -hmm. And he knows me. 
and he wants to use me. Yeah. God's, he's going he's gonna to pass on the people that have talent and have skill, but I think God has a special place for those that are really humble, that have a heart just like his. Yeah. Want to share another? Yeah, turn to Psalm 23. So, um, who did shepherds hang out with all day? <laughs> Sheep. And usually shepherds were like alone, human life, right? It was usually just a man and a bunch of sheep. <laughs> All day, every day. So if you think about like David's, you know, first 15, 20 years of life, however old he was when he came out of his shepherd life, um, that means he literally spent all day, every day, just by himself in the fields with sheep. And I think that, like, I love how Nick talked about like his private times with God is how God saw his heart, you know? Um, and if you, we look at Psalm 23, you know, a lot of David's psalms and his songs were written while he was in the fields, right? And even the ones that were written later in Jerusalem probably came from when he was in the fields. They were in his heart, right? And so if he was with sheep all day, I think he really understood what it meant to be a sheep mm-hmm. and to, like, desperately need a shepherd, right? And, like, you know, you guys have heard stories about sheep and, like, how dumb they are, right? <laughs> and how, like, they would just, like, walk off a cliff and the shepherd would be like... <laughs> Listen to me, right? And how the Bible compares this all the time. Psalm 100 says, God is our shepherd. We are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. Like, that's who we are. We are his sheep. Um, and I think that was the heart that David came from. And when we look at Psalm 23, we see just, like, the trust that he had from sheep to shepherd. Um, and we'll, I'll just read it really quick. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is how David thought when he was alone. Mm-hmm. And take a minute to think, mm-hmm. what do you dwell on when you're alone? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts consisting of when you're alone? Usually when we're alone, that's when we get into the bad spaces, right? Mm-hmm. So last year, um, I was working two jobs. They were two part-time jobs, and they were both pretty like demanding. Long story short, I just felt exhausted every day. I felt like it was really long days. And I got into, like, really negative head spaces. And I started getting, like, moods of depression. And, and I was, like, so angry all the time. Like, the other week I was, like, walking out the door. And I was, like, in one of these zones. And I'm walking out the door. And I'm, like, all right, next see you later. I was, like, I hate everyone and everything. Bye. Like, like locked the door and, like, walked out. Like, have a good day. Um, and so that's where my head was at for, like, almost every day last year. when I, It was just really long days. I don't know if you guys relate to that. But just yeah. you feel exhausted and you want someone to see you. You want someone to be like, just quit, right? Like, mm-hmm. You just want someone to validate you. Um, and there was an elder in our church that said that he reads Psalm 23 every day. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that, and it was like a game changer. Because I feel like, literally, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That line like injects humility into my deepest moments of ingratitude. Mm-hmm. Like it injects me into this place of like, oh, I'm a sheep. My shepherd is good. And if you believe this psalm, it like puts you in a place of humility that really frees you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what thoughts do you dwell on most? So if you think about kind of when you're alone, 
What are the thoughts that kind of captivate you the most? What are the thoughts you can stay stuck in the most? You know, do you think, I lack nothing? Or do you think about all the things you lack? Do you think, like, you will teach me the right paths? Or do you think about all the conflict you have with people, how this person made me feel, I feel hurt, I just feel angry. We're not okay. Do you think, even in the shadows, you are with me? Or do you think, I'm totally alone. Nobody gets me. Nobody hears me. Nobody cares. Do you think you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies? Or do you stay overwhelmed at problems? Do you think surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life? They will follow me all the days of my life. Or do you get really worried about the future and you get stuck there? So if you really like pick apart your thoughts and kind of the ones you dwell on the most and you get to the core of them, Usually, you don't trust God. Like, at the core, there's something in you clinging for control. And you're worried because you don't feel in control. And if you're there, that means that you think that the story is about you. It's not. Mm -hmm. The story is not about you. Humility, at the end of the day, is trust. It's like a deep trust that God is my shepherd. There is nothing that I need that I don't have because he's with me. Mm -hmm. And I think this was David's foundation, right? This was him before he was a king, before he was anybody. And I think we, you know, we're going to talk about it, but I think we see that Psalm 23 heart throughout the rest of his ministry. Yeah, and I think, to me, one of the most amazing things about just being humble is that it just really frees you. Like, it's like, you're not worried about being pride. It's just like, pride just kind of makes you worried all the time. It makes you comparing yourself all the time. It makes you insecure. It makes you kind of like, more thinking about what other people think of you. It makes you think, trying to get ahead of somebody else. Humility is just like, hey, I'm nothing. I'm just grateful I get to be part of God's team, and I'm just, I'm just here as his servant, and I'm just fired up to be here. You know, I think that's kind of the heart that David really had. And I think what we're talking about, too, is we're not just talking about having a good heart. We're talking about being a man or a woman after God's heart, right? And so how often do you think when you're coming into a situation, what is God's heart right here? Not what is like a good heart where I can just kind of fake it for a second. I'm having a bad day, but let me put on a good face. It's like, man, when you're walking into a midweek, you're walking into a Tuesday Night Live, you're walking into the church, you're walking into your household, it's like, okay, what would God do right here? Like, what is his heart in this moment? Who is he, what would he be looking for right here? Who, what would he be thinking about? Like, why, what would he be praying? Like, the biggest praying to himself, right? But like, what would you be praying to God? Like, in the sense of, like, not, not how can, what am I thinking about me when I walk into these situations? But what am I really thinking? Like, what does God really want right here? What is his heart in this particular mm. situation? Guys, everything comes from God. Every, you know, every breath you take is given you by God. Like, oh man, he just gave me another one. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like he could literally, you, he could take it away at any moment. Yeah. You're not promised another breath. Every chance, every second that you live, every t- time you breathe, it's because God's given that to you. That's a delicate way to live. It's just make us just kind of stand in like fear. Like, oh my gosh, like, God, you, I, I, I just want you. Like, whatever, whatever I can do to kind of please you and not like in this fear of like you're scared more like God I trust you so much and I'm like I, I know who I am before you and how much you love me you want to take care of me I, I just want to I just want to submit myself submit myself to you some of the questions I think that are good to ask ourselves are like do you love being the center of attention that's something you really love do you do things often just so that people will see you do it there, there have been many times where I've been having my quiet time and I'm meeting with somebody and I just kind of leave my Bible open even though I haven't been doing something for like 15 minutes, you know, just so they know, oh yeah, I was reading my Bible, you know, and, 
just, oh yeah, let me close that. I just finished, you know, just whatever. Just kind of put it back. Or, you know, there's times where I'm, I'm praying. I know whatever, someone's me walking by and that's why I'm like, I focus, start focusing my prayers, you know, or something like that. Um, but it's just so, it's, it, it gets so easy to do things so that people see us, yeah. see us do it. Or if someone's going to ask us about it, you know, how many Bible studies are you in? Or have you read your Bible this week? Because yes, I have, you know, because someone told me, you know, too, or someone's going to check in on me. As opposed to saying like, God, you, I, I just want nothing more than you. I crave you. I love you. I, I'm obsessed with you. And I just want to make you proud more than anybody yeah. else. Do you spend more times on, or more time working on your skills or on your heart? I think sometimes I can get wrapped up and just like fill my brain with a lot of knowledge, listening to a million podcasts, you know, kind of trying to tweak this, 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 and this, trying to listen to like TED Talks or, you know, like different things like that that are kind of helping me better my skills. But it's really scary if I go up to a guy like Jordan Massey and I'm like, hey man, what did you think of my lesson this past week? You know, and kind of get your feedback or, hey dude, what do you, what do you think I can just grow into be more humble, you know? Uh, or going up to one of the older men in the church and just kind of asking a question that maybe I know the answer to, but I'm just doing it out of humility's sake, right? Um, it's so often, it's, it's, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Here's a good one to me is, how do you talk to God? I think often we are too casual with God. Where if we really kind of understood who we were talking to and kind of the, the power of who he was, we would talk to him with so much more reverence. Mm-hmm. We would be on our knees a lot more. It wouldn't just be kind of a casual, like, hey, what's up, God? You know, just like give him a fist bump, you know, like, God, you're, you're a great dude. Thanks for, thanks for loving me. Help me have a great day. Be with me today, you know. Bye. You know, amen. You know, I think it's, do you get on your knees to pray? Do you bow before God as your king? Do you lay on the floor just like God in a, in a humble state of just like God? I'm, I'm just vulnerable before you right here. How do you talk to him? I think that shows a lot of what you really feel in your heart towards, towards God. I think it's always good, too, if, like, if we had a goggles in here, like heart goggles, like, like God's heart goggles, and he was looking not at the outward appearance, but he was really looking at each one of our hearts, yeah. that would terrify me. Mm-hmm. Because I know there's so many guys at Georgia State that I work with that have such purer and better hearts than I do. Yeah. And I'm technically like kind of the leader of the ministry or whatever, and I'm like, I just want to be like this guy. And I know that if Jesus came in the room right now, he would definitely just kind of stiff arm me and go hang out with this guy. Uh-huh. And I feel, that, I feel that all the time with guys. And I'm like, I really just, I, I want to crave to have the kind of heart that God would be like, dude, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. You're amazing. I want to choose you. I want to, I want to lift you up. Mm-hmm. And I think that only comes when we're really living in that obscurity. You know, we're living, trying to be everybody's servant rather than trying to be, make a name for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Here's some tools in that particular area that help me. We already talked about talking to God on your knees. Praying through the Psalms. You know, I, I've been really trying this whole year to pray through at least a Psalm a day. Or I wake up and I just kind of read through a psalm and I pray, you know, God, thank you for being my shepherd. Please help me remember that I lack nothing. God, I'm, I'm heading into some tough situations today, but it says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. Mm-hmm. Please help me be courageous today. Yeah. Praying through the psalms, I think, really helps you a lot. Writing down your own psalm of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Just talking about how much you love God, what he's done for you. And just kind of writing out a psalm. I think Mackenzie shared that today in, in, in the class, right? She kind of wrote a psalm yeah. or a prayer. Mm-hmm. And just kind of writing write a prayer, I think, would be really, really helpful. And I think it's just kind of like looking for ways to serve as opposed to looking for ways to stand out. Yeah, it's right. looking for ways of like, how can I become more secretive in my righteousness before God, right? How can I do things intentionally in secret, you know? Uh, how can I do things that I'm never going to tell anybody, but it's just between me and God? It's not for anybody's praise. It's not for anybody to look at me and say, great job, you did, you did something awesome. It's just because I just want that special intimacy with God where he saw it, but nobody else did. Mm-hmm. Those are some tools that really, really helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff.
really great. All right, let's go over. Let's, let's keep. Let's keep going through David. All right, because he just kind of keeps getting better. So David, after this moment, right, he is anointed by Samuel as the new king. I don't know how you'd be feeling at that particular moment, right? Like, especially amongst your brothers, to go back in your house after that one, like, what up, man? <laughs> he rejected all you guys. I'm the man, you know? I don't know what he's like, you know, 11 years old or whatever he was in, in that particular moment, but like, I just wonder how, you know, when he's going up to Eliab after that moment, and just kind of like what, that, what their look would have been like, you know, right there. But what does he do? What does David do right after he gets anointed by Saul, or by Samuel? It says that he actually goes back, and, back out and takes care of the sheep. That's the first thing he does. He's like, oh, that's my job. That's where I was hanging out with God, and that's what I was supposed to do. He goes back out there. He doesn't be like, okay, now I'm the king, and I'm going to go kind of take on my kingly duties. And basically what ends up happening, right, is, you know, he, he kind of, his brothers are fighting in the battle. That's when Goliath comes, starts taunting them. And uh, David kind of comes up as the bread boy, you know, kind of the pizza boy coming up, delivering pizza, you know, the whole group, right? He comes. Eliab's like, why are you here, dude? You're not supposed to be here. Go back to your sheep, you know? And, and then he's like, what's happening? Oh, Goliath, he's coming, and he's like taunting God's people. What does David say? He says, are you kidding me? He's like, there's a guy out there that's actually defying the armies of God? He's like... Oh, I'm not standing for that if that guy's going to offend my God. I'm taking, uh, bring him on. This is my time. I'm going to go fight him. Not because he's like, I want to be better than all you guys, but because God's, God's honor is on the line right here. And I want to lift him up. He, how dare somebody kind of go in and dishonor God? I'm going I'm to go take it into my own hands to go defend God's honor. I love that about him, right? And, it, and it's like Saul's like, here, wear all the stuff that like a normal guy wears. He's like, nah, I got my, I got my slingshot, you know? And he just kind of knew who he was and said, you know, God's going to use me right here. And I really love that about him. But then what happens is like, you know, we know that David kills Goliath, cuts off his head. People are like, now all of a sudden, overnight, he's a national hero. He's a celebrity. He's famous. People are saying like, Saul, you killed thousands. David killed tens of thousands. He's the man. You know, like, Saul, you're cool, but David, he's incredible. You know, and he becomes this celebrity overnight. Saul probably ain't too fired up about this. You know what I'm saying? And so he just gets extremely angry, gets extremely violent. And start saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to look for a way to kill David. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that when Saul doesn't get his way, he resorts to anger, violence, maliciousness, criticalness, right? And trying to take out somebody else. When David, you know, kind of doesn't get his way, we'll kind of see what happens because it's mm-hmm. totally different. But basically, David has to go on the run. He's a fugitive. He's an outlaw. And, now, and then Saul's armies are attacking him. David has to live most of his life in a cave, right? Kind of like just hiding away from, hiding away from uh, the king at the time. How do you think you'd be feeling if you were anointed and you were supposed to be the king and all of a sudden now you're living in the cave with a bunch of other guys that were kind of like the outcasts of society and you're like, and, and this went on for decades, right? It wasn't like just a couple of you know, weeks that he had to do this. This was a long time. And David's like, but his spirit was, if this is what God needs to teach me right now, and if the cave is where I'm going to really learn how to be a man after God's own heart, then I'm accepting that because I trust God's time. Whatever happens to me, it's probably from God. And so I'm going to submit myself to that. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait. And this next part of it is amazing. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 26. Because this part of it, I'm like, okay, you are a beast. But chapter 24. This is really great. 1 Samuel 24. You know, he's hiding in the cave. Saul, you know, you, you appreciate seeing, human, seeing some humanity in the Bible. He goes in the cave because he's got to go to the bathroom, right? So he's going in, in the bathroom, right? You know, kind of going to the outhouse right there in the cave. And that David sees him and is right there in the cave, like, you know, that's crazy, right? And he has an opportunity to kill Saul right here and to kind of like show his kingship. Uh, in verse 3 of chapter 24, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. 
David and his men were far back in the cave. The men around David said, David, yo, dude, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with us as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And so basically, right, it's everybody's around him like, David, God has brought him to you. This has been God's timing. Like you've been running from him. God's finally brought him to you to kill him. Now you can take matters into your own hands and kill, and kill Saul. And then David goes up and just cuts off a corner of his robe. And he says something really interesting right here, which I think just shows what David's heart was and just his humility before God. Verse 5 says, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. David is like, even though everybody else around me right here is telling me to do something, I, I know who God is, and this is what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna still wait for God right here. Because isn't pride where we kind of try to take things for ourselves and we don't really be patient for God to really come through? It's like, man, I, I'm going to take this position. I'm going to take this thought. Or I got impatient because I feel like you're not blessing me in the way that I want you to bless me. Yeah. And so we kind of start getting our own thoughts like, God, you're, 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 you're not enough for me. And we don't really wait and trust that he has actually something extraordinary for us down the road. And so we kind of try to take it for ourselves. And David's like, no, no, I, I refuse to take it for myself. God's going to make sure that one happens on its own. I'm just here to, I'm, I'm still waiting for God. Mm-hmm. And it's this extra patience that you see. Later on in verse 26, this is look, chapter 26, verse 10. He has the same exact thing happen, basically, where he has a chance to kill Saul. Verse 10, he just says, As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. David wasn't willing to compromise what he thought was best yeah. at the expense of what God thought was best. Yeah. True humility is trusting in God's way and not your own way. Choosing to please God over yourself or anybody else. Right? Walking in victory. I heard this quote. Walking in victory is the difference between doing what pleases us and doing what pleases God. Mm-hmm. We need to do what's right without tiring of it. Because wouldn't it have been so easy for David right here to be like, dude, I've been running a long time. I might as well just kill the guy now, you know, because like I've done right this whole entire time. This is what God wanted me to do. And he's like, no, 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 I'm just still. Even when it's my darkest, most intense, tough moments, I'm still going to honor what pleases God. Mm-hmm. Isn't it so easy for us to be like, okay, I had a hard day. I'm finally going to like rest because I've been working hard all day. Yeah. Or I've been kind of giving to everybody else. Now it's my turn to kind of be selfish. Mm-hmm. It's my turn to kind of veg out. It's my turn to kind of relax. It's my turn to get away without just being like, well, no, what does God really want from me right here? Yeah. What, what's really going to please God? And the humility to listen to God, right? Even when people around you are telling you something different. Mm-hmm. Right? When David didn't get what he wanted, he mourned, he accepted it, and it drew him closer to God as opposed to getting angry and critical and driving him to do kind of his own thing. Mm-hmm. Trust, and it's trusting that God's ways are actually better than your ways. You know? Yeah. One time I came into Athens and uh, way back when and was talking to the campus minister and he just encouraged me to say, Nick, I really think you need to study out the difference between Saul and David. Uh, because I think you'll, and as I did, I saw myself so much in Saul. Mm-hmm. As a guy that felt like, you know, that was talented, that has particular skills, you know, that was praised a lot growing up for certain things. 
And whereas David, whenever, you know, and I would just be really independent and be like, okay, I'm going to take action here. Whereas David's like, no, I'm not going to take any action without inquiring of God first. Mm -hmm. Everything is about like, what does God want? What does God want? Not what I want. I'm out of the picture. What does God want? Bring me the ephod, it said, because ephod is what you wear to inquire of God, right? It's like, I just want to, I just want to know what God wants. I'm not going to take my own action for it. And having that kind of heart, like, no, it's just what God wants. What does God want? What is his heart? What is, who is he? Like, it's all about him. I don't care about me. I don't care about me. Whatever he wants. I think that's what we can learn from David mm, right yeah. here. Mm. Really. Okay, so this like, idea of like, what does God want versus what do I want? I'm going to tell you this story. So I was like three years old, and my dad always tells this story. I was like three, and I was getting a spanking for something. <laughs> and my dad would always ask before he spanked me, like, why are you getting a spanking? Like, what did you do? And I'm like three or something, and I look at him, and I was like, because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And my dad goes, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was like, I've spawned Satan, right? But, um, but that is me at my core. Like, at my core, I'm like, I just want to do what I want to do. Like, I just want to be independent. I want to be free to do what I want to do. And so throughout college, honestly, I thought I was fairly humble because I, like, let a lot of people tell me advice. So I thought I was humble. So I was like, yeah, I have lots of disciples in my life. I have a lot of people in my life, so I'm good. I listen to people. But uh, there's a few moments throughout college that really revealed how much that was in my heart. But one of the biggest ones, I think, is like one of the hardest things for me to surrender, what God wants versus what I want, was when Nick and I started dating. Mm -hmm. And we started getting a lot of guidance and advice about like, hey, here's different you know, boundaries that are really helpful. Here's ways that you can really encourage other people with your relationship. You know, be careful how much time you spend together, right? Just like wisdom, advice, guidance on dating. And I hated it. Like, I absolutely hated any advice. I was like, please don't tell me how to date. This is my boyfriend. And I, and I think that was extra prideful because Nick and I were a little bit older. Like, I had already graduated. I was working with the campus. So I was kind of like, I don't need to be, I'm not like a freshman, okay? No offense. <laughs> um, but I felt, I think I felt like I kind of, I know now at this point, like we've both dated before in the church, you know, like we've got this, like if we do it our own way, I think we're good. And so I just like hated being told how to date and I hated being told to be an example, to think of others, what boundaries to have. And so for example, at one point, you know, Nick and I had this date plan and I got advice from, you know, got advice, uh, about that date. And really I didn't get advice because I wanted to hear what she had to say. I got advice because I wanted her to be like, check, she got advice. Okay. She's good. Um, but I, I wasn't actually listening. Um, and so, you know, I got advice about this date. And where we're on the date, I totally blatantly ignored the advice. I was like, no, we're doing fine. I'm just going to do what I wanted to do originally. So afterwards, of course, you know, the woman in my life was kind of like, I think you're prideful. Like, I think you've got some pride in you. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> and, and that's the thing about pride, too. Like, you don't really realize you're prideful. Yeah. If you're prideful, it's hard for you to see it. It blinds you. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, it's a really scary effect of pride because every time I got advice about our dating relationship, I thought that people were out to get us. Like I was like, these people just want to control us. They just want us to submit to a certain structure and the institution. Like that's where I was at. I was like, I, just, I didn't, I was blinded to their love for me and like that they were cheering for us and rooting us on. And I was blinded to God's love for me through these people. I felt like I had to defend everything. I felt like my guard were up every time I had a conversation. At one point, my friend like looked at me, and I'm telling her all these feelings, and I'm like, yeah, isn't it, hurt? Isn't it rough when you feel controlled by leaders, right? And I'm like trying to get her to relate to me. She was like, you hate boundaries. Boundaries are wonderful. She was like, you need to repent of the way you view boundaries. Like, mm -hmm. learn yeah. to love them. Yeah. They're to protect you. They're good, you know? 
And I like I totally didn't get it. I was kind of like, ah, oh, you just didn't get me. Like mm-hmm. you weren't in those conversations. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. And I'd like get advice and I'd be thinking in my heart like, well, I don't really agree with what you're saying. And, like I would take everything through my own filter. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, this is how I feel about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, I would even have thoughts of like, well, I'm going to date my way and they're going to see that I was right. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of where my heart is at. And I think my pride also blinded me and pride blinds us to the value of other people's wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, pride blinds us to seeing how much we really do need other people. Yeah. And so it got to the point, honestly, where like my goal, like one of my goals in dating Nick was like, I just want to be free. Like, I just want to feel like we can do whatever we want to do, but still be a part of the church. I don't know if you guys are relating to anything I'm saying, but this is kind of one of my most revealing moments. And, uh, and so I'm getting discipled a lot on pride. I'm really fighting to understand. I'm like, I don't see my pride. I don't get it. And at one point, one of the older women looks at me and she's like, you have clawed tooth and nail for your independence. She's like, you have fought for it and clawed for it. She's like, you have not fought so hard for humility. Mm-hmm. And it kind of woke me up a little bit because I knew I know how God speaks about humility. Mm-hmm. But just because you understand the value of humility doesn't mean you're humble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that really woke me up. And she told me, you know, sometimes Brie, because I was kind of like, I'm getting all this discipling on pride. Like, can I do it? Okay, I get it. I get it now. I understand. Therefore, can we be done with this? Right? Like, I understand what you're trying to teach me. And she was like, sometimes God just wants to sit on you. He's sitting on you, and you're like squirming. You're like, get me out of here. He's like, just stay still until you learn what I want you to learn. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to let him sit on you. She was like, sometimes you just have to look at your pride and stare at it until it's disgusting to you. Just keep staring and understand God's way works. Trust. She's like, but you can't really, like, rush your way out of humility. <laughs> can't rush into being humble. So that summer, I started studying David and Saul. And someone told me, look at the difference between how Saul responded to correction and how David responded to correction. And I don't know if you guys know this story, but when Saul disobeyed God and I think it was Samuel came to him, and Samuel corrects him. He's like, dude, you disobeyed God. And, and there's like three paragraphs where Saul responds. And he's like, okay, like I know I've kind of disobeyed, but I didn't really, I didn't totally disobey. You know, like I, I did have, I did want to do the right thing, but then there was a couple other things, and these guys kind of made me, and it's like three paragraphs of his response. Like he talks a lot after he gets corrected. And then at the end, he's literally ripping Samuel's robe. He's like, don't leave me, just, just at least honor me before the elders before you leave. So there's that. And then David's rebuked by Nathan, and it's like a much harsher rebuke, where he's like, you are that man, exclamation point, right? Yeah. And it said, David said, one line, I have sinned against the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he's quiet. Mm-hmm. And I think how you respond to correction shows a lot about where your heart is at. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to correction? First, do you even let correction happen? Do you put yourself in the position to get corrected? There's a psalm that says, let a righteous man rebuke me. It's like oil on my head. Mm. Do you listen more to people, or do you take your own thoughts more seriously? I don't think Saul could handle the correction. I saw a lot of Saul in me, that I was really quick to speak, and I was quick to think, but I was slow to listen. Mm. And what inspired me about David was his, his, he just had this, you know, Psalm 23 conviction, like, God is with me, God is for me, so he could handle the correction. Because he had that trust. And he saw correction as a blessing. But Saul couldn't handle it. And once I started like actually listening, then I started actually hearing the heart behind the advice they had been giving me the whole time. Like for months. 
Mm-hmm. And it was about like what God wanted, not what I wanted. And it was like, listen, you and Nick are part of this bigger story. Mm-hmm. You guys are a welcome part of it. You guys are great. But you're, it's not about you. It's not about protecting your rights. It's like it's a part of this bigger story. And whenever we lose the sight of unity over our own independence, I think we've lost thinking about how God thinks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And God is always thinking, it is about my people, and it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And that's where I realized, if he cares about the body, he doesn't just care about me, that we're a part of the story. And so once I really like submitted to the discipling, I realized that we were actually like free to enjoy. We were free to enjoy our role in the story. Like We had a much more enjoyable dating relationship after we both humbled out a lot. Mm-hmm. It was really more me. But... Um, Humility allowed me to see how God sees and to find my part in his story. Yeah. Thank God we sort of repented in some ways, you know, like, because uh, I think God was opposing us in some of those ways. I was probably worse, actually, I think, than Bree was. And, um, but I think it, it freed us so much when we actually just kind of chose to submit ourselves to just being humble. It actually made our dating relationship so, like, so much more fun. So we weren't kind of like worried that we doing the wrong thing kind of the whole time. We are just like, no, we're just living and, and really getting, kind of accepting God's grace and, and compassion with us right here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, quickly, and then, we'll, and then we'll kind of finish out. Let's just go to Second Samuel chapter 7. Um, you know, <clears throat> just some quick things there. I think a good question is, are you teachable? I think uh, David was extremely teachable. And I know, like, one of the, you know, one of my, my mentors, you know, he, he says, hey, I go in, you know, he's a, he's a great campus minister. He goes into a... Uh, meeting with some of the older men in the church. And basically he says he comes with 10 questions every time. And he comes with 10, question, <clears throat> 10 questions, and he says, actually, most of the time I know the answer to most of those questions, but I ask those questions just for the sake of humility. Like, just to kind of ask questions and just to kind of keep that muscle, you know, kind of going, is I come with questions to ask. And I know the guys that I even help too, the, the ones that are just the easiest and the best relationship is when they come and they have at least three or four questions of just like, dude, I'm trying to figure this out. You got any, you got any thoughts about that? Or like, I'm trying to figure this out. The hardest ones are when they're kind of sitting there and saying, all right, Nick, dance for me. What you got? You know, show me something. And uh, ask me about how I'm doing. Or, you know, and then there's like five seconds. You know, there, there, there's like once, once I've asked enough questions and they're just kind of sitting there. Don't ask any. Just, hey, Nick, how you, like even just, hey, how you doing? You know, like, how's, how's Bree doing? Or how's, how's just it going? Every day, like, you feeling good today? You know, like, even, or just questions like, Nick, can you help me with this? Those are the kind of guys I'm like, oh, this person is obviously humble. I'm not very good at that myself. I need, really need to work on that in my, in my own way as well. But, uh, you know, for me, one of the analogies that helped me really, has helped me really recently has been, you know, so this right here is a big Lego, okay? And uh, I wish, I think this is Cam's Lego. Uh, I kind of like the smaller ones. So imagine this one is, like, really tiny, you know, like the legit Legos. Like, some of us, we love just kind of being this Lego. We're like, look at me. I'm amazing. I'm, like, a little bit sharper than all the other Legos right here. And I got, I'm red, you know, like, you're not, you're purple, you know, whatever. Like, I got this kind of, like, circle thing on the top stamped with mega blocks, you know, is what it says. And it's like, look at me. I'm amazing. And I think, often, you know, instead of, like, if you have a whole house of Legos right there, and it's like, that you, you a lot of times we want, like, the, the spot on top, the spot of prominence. You were like, we're sitting, everybody can notice my, you know, my Lego piece on this big, you know, kind of building right here. Or I'm the one that's kind of like where everybody notices or the one that kind of holds them all up. And I'm like, I'm amazing. Look at me. Look, look at this. It's incredible. You know, compared to like all the other, all the other, like the big house right there. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, right, it talks about how we are, are, are the living stones. We're coming together as the living stone of God's temple. That Jesus is the cornerstone. And we all play a piece in that particular house. 
and that we, when you kind of connect to that house, you're literally connecting yourself with Moses. You're connecting yourself with Jeremiah, right? Mm-hmm. You're connecting yourself with Joshua and with Noah, right? And with David. And you're like kind of linking up with them. Like, we're a part of God's house. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want to just sit over here by myself. I want to be part of God's temple, right? When his temple was built, it said that the fire came down and the whole, and the glory kind of came into the temple. Imagine if you're kind of over here by yourself and the fire's going to come up where God's presence is over there. You're too worried about like, no, look at my little Lego piece right here. I want to be kind of distinct from everybody else. Like, I, I want to be content with, like, the very back, you know, kind of piece next to the garbage can of the temple. And be like, I get to be part of the temple. I feel so excited. Thank you, God. I get to be part of your temple and your house. I don't care where I am in your family. I don't care if I'm a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I don't care about anything. I'm just so excited I'm a part of your house. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I don't have to be any, I don't have to have any prominence. If nobody knows my name, I'm just so grateful I get to be in your house. Because you know me. If nobody gives me any recognition ever for anything that I do, I'm going to be great because I get to be part of your house. Thank you. Right. And so often I can be like, well, God, I deserve this. Or I want to be noticed here. Or I want to be this kind of leader. Or I want people to remember my name here. Or I want to like, make this kind of impact. When I'm like, let me just be, I just want to be grateful for being yeah. part of God's house. Yeah. And just never lose that. Like, God, wow. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Thank you. I, I'm plugged in with you and with Jesus. That is just the most amazing thing of all time. You know, we won't actually look at the passage for time's sake, but basically David's king. Nathan comes and says, dude, God's going to bless you like crazy, and he's going to bless your household. And David's king at this point has kind of made it, and all he says is, who am I that God would, would use a guy like me? And even when he became king, David's still like, are you serious? God is going to choose to use me? Like, that is the most incredible, humbling thing of all time. I don't care how he uses me. I just want to be used. I just want to, I just want to be here. I just want to be part of that story. There's a part where David's kid, you know, kind of just goes nuts. Absalom, you can read about that story later. He just rebels, brings the whole town against him, and basically, try, basically kind of runs a coup on David and his household. And, um, and this guy starts going and cursing David on, on the street. And the guy's like, dude, you should like say something to that guy who's cursing you. He's like, dude, maybe God told that guy to curse me, you know, because like I deserve it, you know, of like some of the stuff I've messed up and done. If Absalom takes the throne... And maybe that's what God wanted because I don't really care about being the king. I just want to be, I just want to be right with God. Whatever he wants, I just want, to, I, want to, I want that too. There was no entitlement. It's so easy for us to get entitled, to have a specific title we want to keep so bad. Even though he was king, he's like, I don't care if people curse me. If maybe God told this guy to curse me. You know, and like, if that's true, I'll take it. And then so he goes into town all beaten up because they've been stoning him and stuff like that. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm just submitting to God. You know? And I think so often we just got to just be grateful for just being part of the story. And if nothing else happens, amen. Like, you're still part of God's house. Mm-hmm. That's the most incredible honor that you can possibly get. It's accepting God's discipline. It's accepting suffering as part of God's just teaching you something. Mm-hmm. God, I'm not going to throw a fit because I'm suffering. I'm struggling through this. I just know that you're probably doing something awesome. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to trust yeah. you on this one. Jesus, you know, he, Jesus, even though he was God, he had the greatest title of all time. It says that with what? He, he emptied himself. And he valued other people above yourself. True humility is walking into a room and saying, okay, how can I value the people in here above myself? Mm -hmm. When was the last time that you did that? When you intentionally thought, how can I value these people above me? Mm. When you walked into a retreat, did you wake up this morning thinking, how do I really value the people that I meet and hang out with today above myself? Mm -hmm. Or is it more just kind of making sure I kind of get what I need and what I want? Mm -hmm. Do I speak with gratitude often about the people in my life? To God, 
do you walk in, on campus just in your home and say, man, how can I really just value these people mm. above my own? You know, Psalm 139, that's just the last thing we'll, we'll talk about. Psalm 139, I won't go there. It's basically just an amazing prayer that I've been challenged. One of the guys challenged me just to pray that almost every day where it talks about, it says, search me, Lord, and know my anxious thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it says, God, it says, expose. It says, reveal any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the idea of like every morning, I'm start, what I try to do every morning now is I wake up and this guy talks about what he does and I'm trying to get on his level is every morning he wakes up and he bows before God. And he literally just kind of bows before God and says, God, search me. I am here. Search every, every part of me. You are God. I'm submitting myself to you. Search me and know me. And he says, if there's anything offensive in me, God, if there's any way that I'm like, that I'm, I'm, I'm stopping you from working through me, if there's anything, please, God, just expose that and help me just kind of learn to walk in that way everlasting. And it says that that's totally transformed his walk with God the last mm-hmm. few years. I want to be a guy that's humble enough to not worry about what God's going to do to me, but just saying, God, I'm here as your servant. I just, please, I'm so thankful to be part of your household. I'm so thankful that you would allow me to be your kid. You would allow me to be taught and have a heart with, mm-hmm. aligned with yours. Mm-hmm. I'm, here, I'm here as your servant. Like, please just use me. I don't care anything else. I just, I just want you. And I'm just so grateful to be with you. I think if we have that heart every day, imagine if our whole entire ministry was praying that prayer every day. Yeah. You know, if everybody was praying, reveal any offensive way in me and lead me in your ways everlasting. Mm-hmm. That would change our ministry more than everybody sharing their faith every day. Yeah. That would change our ministries more than even you reading your Bible every single day, I feel like. You know, because I think that would just kind of make you do it. In this, it would make you do it anyway. You know, mm-hmm. that, would change, that would change our entire ministries if we all just kneel before God, say, God, I'm humble before you. Use me whatever way you want. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have anything else to kind of end? Um, to end before we go to lunch, I think we just should end in the way that we started and just kind of kneel yeah. and wow. just ask God to, ask God to help us. Okay. Um, does anybody, can I get a guy and a girl that would want to close us in, in prayer? Mm-hmm. Anybody that just want to be on close in prayer? Maggie? Any guy? Albert? Let's just pray.